Good morning. This is Music Cultures, Music 316, for Monday, October 26th, I believe, of, nine, of 2009. And we're not actually having class today because I've just been diagnosed with pneumonia and told that I had to stay home. So today we're having only the podcast of the class. And we're starting with our last example of Chinese music on CD number one. This is music from another border area. In fact, it's China's border with the Pacific Ocean um, from the island of Taiwan. And the music that we hear on track number six of this CD from Taiwan is a song of one of the aboriginal peoples of Taiwan. Taiwan is populated both by uh, Chinese who came from the mainland at the end of the Civil War um, in 1949 uh, when the uh, Chinese Communist regime took over uh, in mainland China and formed the People's Republic of China. The losing side in the Civil War fled to the island of Taiwan and started a competing Chinese Republic in Taiwan. But long before any Chinese ever went to Taiwan a few hundred years ago, there were native peoples in Taiwan who had a very different culture and very different music from the Chinese. We're here for our last example of Chinese music, the music of one of these native peoples, the Bunun people of Taiwan. And the music that we'll hear from them is music for an agricultural ritual, that is, for a ritual of food growing. Every year, the Bunun people plant fields of crops, one of which is millet. Part of their planting, the Bunun sing a song to germinate the millet to help the seeds start to grow and take root. So here is a millet germinating song from the Bunun people of Taiwan. It starts off very quietly. And just as I did for the first piece of music we heard from China, so also for this piece, I want to ask you, what are we hearing? And as you listen, you realize that it's voices. What kind besides human voices? Well, that's right. It sounds like men. And as they get to this point in their song, we hear them singing different notes, different musical parts. These different musical parts move in different directions. There are basically two groups of men here. One group of men is singing they're going 
because they don't make any steps in between the lower levels and the next higher levels. They just kind of slide gradually up. But then there's another group of men that are singing a very different pattern. Ooh, ah. And then they go still sliding up and up and up, medium, low, and the others are getting higher, and now these guys go higher still, one, high, two, medium, and these guys are getting higher and louder, guys are still sliding up higher. And now these guys sing their three, two, one. Stick your head up out of the ground into the sunlight and become a big tall plant. anything we've heard in China, unlike anything that we'll hear anywhere else in Asia, although we will hear some harmony from down in the Southeast Asia area, which we'll be going to next after East Asia. First of all, though, before we do that, we have to move on to the rest of East Asia, to Korea and Japan, and get more of a view of music in East Asia, and then we'll head for Southeast Asia. So stay tuned. So now we move on to the music of Korea, and it may seem like a natural kind of thing for us to do, since Chinese music itself moved from China to Korea, and so did the instruments that played it over a course of many centuries, so that we find familiar instruments in Korea. We started in China with a half-tube zither, the chin, with silk strings, and now we find ourselves in Korea 
listening to a half-tube zither called kayagong with silk strings. Just like the chin in China, the half-tube shape of the kayagum in Korea has a symbolic significance. The rounded top of the half-tube represents the heavens, and the flat bottom of the zither represents the earth. The twelve strings of the kayagum in Korea represent the twelve months of the year, as we heard from our guest kayagum player last week. And so we have not only a familiar shape of instrument, but a familiar set of philosophical ideas associated with the instrument. The instrument, the zither, whether chin in China or kayagum in Korea, is a symbol of time and space. It is a macrocosm of the universe, and it is a very important part of the way that people relate to the universe and their place in it. But that being said, nevertheless, these instruments and their music are very different in nature. The chin in China had seven strings. The kaigum in Korea has 12 strings. The chin in China played music that represented pictures in sound. And we heard one example of that in Wine Madness. But chin music in China represents other kinds of pictures in sound of nature, of beautiful mountain landscapes, of birds flying through the sky, of water flowing down the mountainside, and so on. Chin music, as so much of Chinese music, is predominantly program music, music that paints a picture. Music of the Kayagum in Korea is often abstract music that does not paint a picture. The music of the Kayagum that we're going to hear today, just like the preview of it that we heard last Friday, is music that doesn't paint a picture, but rather is a kind of abstract music. This abstract music is called Sanjo. Sanjo is not program music. It doesn't paint a picture, but rather it's music that starts with a certain kind of musical structure. The structure that it starts with is a very slow rhythm that is in a multiple cycle of three beats. In fact, it starts in three times eight, or 24 beats, and then it gradually gets faster, still going down by multiples of three, so that it will go down ultimately from 24 to 12 to six beats in a cycle, and as it does that, it will get faster and faster. The sanjo is a kind of musical improvisation, a making up of new music that doesn't follow the wishes or the notation of, a, of an ancient composer. Rather, it takes a musical theme that the player chooses and applies the abstract formula of the 24 beats descending to 12 and to 6, and getting faster and faster. And that is the improvisation, the creation of new music, that makes up the abstract form of Sanjo improvisation. We're going to hear a master performer of Sanjo on the Kayagum. His name is Che Munjin, and he will be playing the Kayagum accompanied by Peter Jun Park on the Chango hourglass drum. Mr. Che uses a different spelling of Kayagum than the spelling 
favored by the artist that we heard last week. And so I've included both of those spellings on the handout. And it's important for us to remember that Chinese, Korean, and um, uh, Japanese spellings are spellings in European languages of a kind of a writing system that isn't written in alphabetical uh, letters. And so it's possible to spell them in different ways. So here is Sa Sanjo Improvisation on the Kayagum by Che Munjin, accompanied by Peter Park on the Chango drum. The Chango is a drum that is shaped like an hourglass, meaning that it is wide on both ends and narrow in the middle. And because of this, you can squeeze the ropes that connect the, the playing heads, the skins on both ends, and make the drums sound higher or lower. So it's also a very expressive instrument. Here we are then with Kayagum Sanjo, played by Che Munjin, starting in the very slow rhythm of 24 slow beats. <laughs> Here are the slow drum strokes showing us where the beat pattern goes. Sometimes we hear the voice of the drum player. The 
drummer uses his hands to play the drum, but he also sometimes uses his voice to call out a word or a syllable. And the syllables that he produces with his voice also contribute to the drum's rhythm and to the overall structure of the piece. Let's skip ahead to where the speed picks up a little bit and the playing gets faster. about twice as fast and it's easier to hear the rhythm. And again, let's skip ahead to where he's going faster still.
and we're going very fast. And now this very dramatic ending. And so, a very different performance than anything we would hear in Chinese music. William Maugham, in his article, Northeast Asia and the Island Countries, suggests that Korean music is kind of like Korean food. It's spicy and doesn't quite seem to be where it belongs. It seems to be something different from music in the rest of East Asia something with a different flavor, a different taste. And I don't know if how seriously we should take a kind of a kimchi theory of Korean music, but it is very different. And by the way, Korean food is very interesting and spicy and unusual too. If you haven't had it, you should try it. So here's our introduction to Korean music, Sanjo improvisation with instruments that are very much like instruments we find in China or Japan, but music that is very, very different. <clears throat> if we dig deeper into Korean music, we find even deeper roots connecting Korea with China. 
In fact, if we go back to our China handouts and look at the eight musical instruments or the eight sounds of Chinese music, we find that this was a chart of the basic kinds of instruments found in ancient Chinese music, in the ancient Chinese orchestra, supposedly dating from the time of Confucius over 3,000 years ago. But those instruments have disappeared in China. Why? Well, it turns out that music was so important in China that music was considered to lay at the foundation of the country, the foundation of the state, the government. And in fact, it was so important that it was a macrocosm of the structure of the universe. Music was something that you needed to maintain the proper relationships between human life in the state, the kingdom, the empire of China, on the one hand, and the universe controlled by gods and spirits and philosophical and natural forces on the other. So that when you changed your rulers in the country, in the state, you had to change your music so that it would be in tune with the order of the universe. Because with a changed government and a changed system of leadership coming in in the human world, you had to readjust your relationship to the world of the stars and planets, the moon and sun, and all of the parts that made up the physical universe. This is why the oldest music in China is not the oldest music in the world. Because the Chinese musicians had to change their music every time they changed their government. They couldn't keep music exactly the way it was because when they changed the way that their society ran, they had to change the way that their music ran because the music was the gears that meshed together to keep the government and the society in tune with the universe. The most radical change in Chinese history occurred in the 20th century, in the early 20th century, when China completely got rid of the imperial system, when they got rid of the emperors, when they closed down the palace of the emperors, when they became a republic, when they tried to institute democratic government in China, then the old system of the rule of the emperors was thrown out along with the music that went with it. And so, in 20th century China, all of a sudden, the old music was gone. The music of the eight sounds, the music of those instruments on the chart that we have on our first handout. And China continued in the state of change and transition 
over almost the whole course of the 20th century. What happened to that music? Well, the orchestra of the eight sounds disappeared from China, but it was continued in Korea. It had migrated to Korea many hundreds of years earlier. And from Korea, part of it had migrated to Japan. And so you had the old orchestras with the old instruments and the old music continuing in Korea and partly in Japan while they disappeared from China. Late in the 20th century, the Chinese governments on both the mainland of China and the island of Taiwan started to reconstruct the old orchestras and the old instruments. But for much of the 20th century, the old Chinese orchestras and the old instruments survived in Korea and partly in Japan. And so if you look at your handout for Chinese instruments, if you look at those eight kinds of instruments and you go around the circle and up in the upper left, you find what is probably the most exotic instrument from a Western standpoint, something that is very different from anything in Western music, and that is the stone chime, the chime of instruments that have stones that are tuned to the notes of a scale to play music. That was an absolute necessity in the old Chinese orchestra, and it remained an absolute necessity in the Korean orchestra. The Korean court orchestra, the orchestra of the royal court, continued playing three kinds of music that were called ah-ak, that is, ancient Chinese Confucian ritual music, ah-ak, tang-ak, the ancient Chinese court music of the Tang Dynasty in China, that golden age of Chinese culture from the 7th to the 9th centuries AD, when China had imported all of the music from everywhere in the known world. And finally, Yangak, the Korean music that was played by the court orchestra based on Korean melodies and Korean tunes rather than ancient Chinese tunes. The Korean orchestra con continued playing all of these, including the old Chinese music, when the old Chinese music was banned in China, when it was discontinued in China. And so we can hear the Korean court orchestra playing the music of the stone chimes, the chime of seven tuned stones that play a musical scale, and the seven metal bells that play a musical scale, the bell chimes, but not just seven tones, because both of those play a scale in seven notes, but in 12 half notes. And so 
here are the sounds of the stone chimes of the Korean orchestra playing its musical scale and the bell chimes, the bronze bells of the Korean orchestra playing its musical scale. This is example 2A on our CD2, East Asia, Korea, and Japan. First of all, the stone chimes. And that was the stone chimes. Now let's hear the bell chimes using bronze bells. think that the stone chimes would be more exotic, but actually those metal bells, the bronze bells, are very exotic in their sound, so much unlike anything that you would hear in Western musical instruments or musical instruments from anywhere else in the world. Now, why is that? Well, if you can picture a Western bell, it has a kind of, kind of a flower-shaped, almost, um, profile coming down from a rounded top and spreading out and then flaring out at the bottom into a sort of a blossom. And that's how it looks from the side. But if you look at it, at it from the top or bottom, it's a perfect circle. Not so with the Chinese bells. The Chinese bells are made in an oval shape, or actually a kind of elliptical shape, so that they are not circular, if seen from the top or the bottom, but rather they're elongated in one direction so that they have a long axis going in one direction and a short axis going in the other direction, a long axis with a very gentle curve a short axis with a very sharp curve. And that means, in terms of the science of acoustics, that those bells produce musical sounds according to two different wavelengths. The long, gently curving side of the bell produces a lower sound than the short, sharply curving side of the bell. That produces a higher sound. And when you play those bells together, when you play those bells, you get those two sounds together from each bell. And so each bell is making not one sound, but two sounds. Whoops, sounds. Bells.
Those were the stones with one sound. Here are the bells. bell having two sounds and you can hear what a rich and diverse and what a very hard to understand kind of sound that is and physicists in China acousticians from the rest of the world have been doing scientific studies now for 20 or 30 years on these metal bells and they're only beginning to understand the sound characteristics that Chinese musicians put into the playing of these metal bells. The full Korean orchestra for playing Confucian ritual music, that is ancient Chinese ritual music, includes the stone chimes and the metal bell chimes, plus the globular flute or ocarina that's made from, uh, from pottery, from baked ceramics, the cross-blown flute made from bamboo, the vertical flute also made from bamboo, and a smaller um, vertical flute. Both of those are made with notches cut in the upper end where you blow across the edge to produce the sound. The orchestra also includes barrel drums. It includes a clay jar struck with split, a split bamboo stick. So this is a combination of an instrument that includes earth, that is baked clay or ceramic, and bamboo. A wooden box with a hammer stuck through a hole in the lid. Huh? Okay, it's a wooden box. It has a wooden lid with a hole and there's a hammer that is stuck through that hole. The head of the hammer is inside the box, and the handle of the hammer sticks up through the hole so that you can grab the handle of the hammer and up, up, up on top of the box and swing it back and forth and hit the insides of the box. And you do that if you're a director of the orchestra and you're starting a piece of music. This is an instrument that's used to start a piece of music. Now we have the famous wooden tiger. Remember the tiger in our Chinese musical instrument chart. And somebody asked, why a tiger? And we decided, well, because it's a wooden tiger and not a real tiger. The wooden tiger has that serrated sawtooth back that you rub with a wooden stick and it produces a rattling sound as you rub the stick across the wooden saw teeth on the back of the tiger. And that's used to stop a piece of music. Now, if you're the director of the orchestra, you can start the piece with the hammer in the box, you can stop the piece with the tiger, and you can also use a clapper of wooden concussion strips that strike together to play beats during the performance. Anything else? 
Oh, yeah, you got zithers, of course. This is East Asia. East Asia is the land of zithers. And so you have two kinds of zithers, the six-string and the 12-string pluck zithers. And these were derived from Chinese zithers, but in the Korean orchestra, they are forms of the komungo zither that we heard played for us last week. And, of course, the kayagum, the 12-string zither that we heard last week and in example number one. So here, then, is the ancient Chinese ritual orchestra used for Confucian ceremonies, for playing ceremonies of the Confucian philosophy religion of honoring the ancestors and the emperor. Here it is playing the first wine offering of the yearly Confucian ritual. So, whoops, we're back to wine, but not back to madness, because Confucian philosophy does not want you to get involved with madness, even though you're doing wine offerings. So here's the first wine offering by the Confucian Orchestra in the Korean court. And you hear how slow that is, and you hear how all of the instruments are playing the same note. That is, the instruments that play the melody are all playing the same note, flutes and ocarinas and other instruments. And they play that note with a breath in between, and they play it slowly, and every time they come to a stopping point, they go up a little bit in pitch. So it's... And this is a special Korean style of music, the special Korean style of Confucian court music, that you will not hear in any other music for this class or any other class.
There's the tiger as it scrapes across the sawtooth edge of the wooden ridges on the tiger's back. And that's how you end the piece. Now, how about that? If you think that wine offering is another form of wine madness, you haven't been to any good parties lately. Because this is something else. This is Confucianism. This is a balanced view of the universe. This is respect for the ancestors. This is keeping things in relationship between the macrocosm and the microcosm, between the universe and the kingdom and the family and the people who are involved in it. This is a special kind of music. It's music that you won't hear anywhere else. It's music that is different from everything else in the world, including everything else in East Asia. And yet it's related in some ways that we still don't understand maybe, but we can kind of start to sense and to feel between music in China on the one hand and music in Japan on the other hand. Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Tuesday, we'll be encountering Japanese music that comes from the same time period, from over a thousand years ago, that spread eastward from China to Korea and kept spreading eastward into Japan. And we'll meet the Japanese orchestra and the instruments that play the music that came east from China during this period. We'll hear some equally unusual and some amazingly beautiful music from this time period. So we'll see you tomorrow when we hear Japanese gagaku music, the elegant music of ancient Japan. <laughs>